Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Choices, they matter. Because they really can set the direction of your life. It is no small thing when we think of choices. In fact, our very first week, we quoted John Maxwell, life is a matter of choices and every choice you make makes you. Life choices. And what I find so amazing about this book we call the Bible, it's you, you can read it and study it and you can study deep theological truths about God. You can be inspired by fulfilled uh, prophecies, but it's also a book that is intensely practical when it comes to everyday life. And our study of Proverbs has proven that as we've looked at what it means about friendships and relationships and words and integrity and, and fear of the Lord and wisdom. We've seen it over and over how practical this book is in our, in our life. Now we live what is referred to uh, the information age. Uh, we're cranking out massive amounts of information every single day. In our home, we have four Google Homes. So anywhere in the house that you go, you can just ask a question in the air. Hey, Google, or Alexa, if you have Alexa. Hey, Google, what's the, what's the weather like tomorrow? Hey, Google, who is the prime minister of Canada 1941? Hey, Google, like it's amazing the information that we can have literally at our fingertips. But one thing is for sure, information is not the same as wisdom. You can have a boatload of knowledge, but if you don't have the wisdom to know what to do with that knowledge, you could be in big trouble. See, learning is not the same as living. You might have money, but if you don't have wisdom to know how to save it and, uh, and spend it, you may find out you'll have no money when it comes to the end. You may be a person who has power influence, but if you don't have wisdom to know how to use that power influence, it could uh, cause um, corruption in your own life and destroy others' lives. And the book of Proverbs is, is like offering wisdom to us on a silver plate. Now, what comes to mind when you see this picture? For those who are watching online, you can maybe just type in your answers. But what comes to mind when you see this picture? Oh, that's true. It looks like an apple. It is an apple. I can't help but think of the Garden of Eden. I can't help but think of temptation. Now, I know there's nowhere in the Bible that says Adam and Eve ate an apple. It just says the fruit of the tree. But somewhere along the line, it has turned into, oh, yeah, Adam and Eve ate of the apple. And so the apple has become this symbol of temptation. And this morning, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about tempta temptation. Now, maybe when you think of temptation, you think of this, more like, oh, I'm tempted to have two donuts instead of one donut. Like, it's more of a lighthearted, you know, I'm tempted to maybe skip work today and enjoy the sunshine. I'm tempted to, you know, skip out maybe on some of my responsibility. But the temptation I want to talk about today is the temptation that will take you down a dark alley and leave you leaning against a dumpster. 
The thing is, temptation is just a temporary gain. It's a temporary gain, which usually has some long-term effects. The verses that we are going to be looking at uh, this morning are very straightforward. Uh, they are not sugar-coated. They are, will not be verses that will be hard to understand. They are like everyday language. I am not going to have to stand up here and say, now this is a little bit complicated. Let me unpack this. Let me explain what this means. No, no, no. The verse that we look at today will be very easy to understand. In fact, the verses we look at today will be very clear. Be very clear. The second thing is these verses, verses, verses are virtually ignored. It's nothing new. It's been there for a long time, these words. But they are virtually ignored. And these verses will create some discomfort. And maybe even controversy this morning. So when you come to a Bible verse that is very clear but it's hard, you got to ask yourself a couple questions. Uh, a couple of really important questions. What does the Bible say? The second follow-up question is, and will we follow it? What does it say, and will we follow it? Here's what I know to be true in our Canadian culture. We have a very high value in this culture of Canada. We hold it very high. Here's the value that we hold in Canada. No one has the right to judge anyone else. That's the value we have. Who are you to judge me for what I'm doing? You can't judge me. The thing is, that value literally goes against what the Bible has to say on some issues in life. So with that, let's take our Bibles. If you have a paper version, turn to Proverbs chapter 7, an electronic version, turn it on. And uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 7 this morning. Proverbs chapter 7. Now earlier in this series we said the book of Proverbs is, was written by Solomon who is considered to be the wisest man uh, in the world. And so the question we want to, who is the audience? Who is he writing to? Well in chapter 7 right at the very beginning actually it addresses it. It says, my son... In fact, in chapter 1, it says, um, Solomon says, listen, my son. In chapter 2, he says, son, ex accept my words. Chapter 3, he says to my son, do not forget what I am telling you. Chapter 4, he says, my son, pay attention to what I'm saying. Chapter 5, he says, listen, my son, to what I am saying. I, like, I have some life experience here for you. Chapter 6, he says, my son, listen to my advice. Here in chapter 7, he's going to say again, guard the things that I teach you. Over and over again, Solomon addresses time and time again, my son, my son. Now, some people think that when he, Solomon's saying that, he's addressing his biological son. And it'd be much like, you know, when maybe a dad comes and has a conversation with his son, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. Or, or, or mom with his daughter, or a father with his daughter, or a mother with her son. It's, it's personal. 
You're just kind of sharing a little bit about life and have that one-on-one. Perhaps, maybe that's what's going on here. Other scholars uh, actually believe that Solomon is talking to a group of young men who are transitioning from being a boy to a man of responsibility. Proverbs as a whole is not really intended for young children primarily, but rather for young people who are transitioning to adulthood, preparing to become leaders of our society. They're growing up, they're preparing to leave their parents' home and enter into a world where they have more independent responsibilities. And as we go into Proverbs, we're going to realize that these truths are for us as well. So Proverbs chapter 7, the last number of weeks, we've just been kind of zeroing in on a couple of verses. But I'm going to read this whole passage uh, to you this morning. So follow along in Proverbs chapter 7. He says, My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and, and you'll live. Guard my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your hearts. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your kinsmen. They will keep you from adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. At the window of my house... I looked out through the lattice, and I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as dark of night was setting in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. She is loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the, squ- in the square, and every corner she lurks. She took a hold of him, kissed him, and with brazen face, she said, I have, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I will fulfill my vows. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you, and, and I have found you. I, I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and alloy and cinnamon. Come. Let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. And he took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. And all at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. I don't need to get any more graphic than what Solomon has just said for us in the story. He's painted the picture already. He has set the scene. And I realize I have some children here, so I will be very careful, as too, is what I say here this morning. But there's no clarification as to what Solomon is saying in here. Now, I realize there will be some people, maybe here, I don't know, but uh, there would be some people that would read a passage like that. Oh, yeah, that's, the Bible is always about squashing my fun. 
it's always against um, sex. Which I'd have to say, wait up, wait up, wait up, wait up. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. Because it says that the Bible, uh, that God created it and that it was good. And it existed actually before the sin of the world. Uh, just so we all know, like sex was not created by Satan or by Playboy or Hollywood or HBO or rock musicians or the internet. No. It was created by a holy God who put some restrictions around it. So let's just be clear this morning. This is a, this is, we're talking about what God created. Now realize that this morning there will be maybe some people that feel a little bit uncomfortable, maybe even talking about uh, this topic. But I don't think we should be ashamed about what God was not ashamed to create. But as I said, God puts some restrictions around it all. So in this story, we have a single man and a married woman. I kind of was thinking about that this weekend. I, I was brought back to the story, of course, uh, in Genesis about Joseph. Most of us probably are familiar with that story. Maybe some may not be. So I'll just give you a quick uh, introduction to the story. You have a single man uh, working, uh, working hard. He's, his boss, his name is Potiphar. He's an employee of him. He works hard. The Bible says he's a really good-looking man, Joseph. He's at the prime of his life. Uh, some would say he's like eye candy for the young ladies. And it says that one day he's in the house working and, and the boss's wife notices how good looking Joseph is. And she just begins innocently flirting with him. You know, those little comments. But over time, they seem to be a little more forward, the comments that she's making, until finally one day, everybody's gone. The boss is away. Everyone's off, has the day off. Joseph goes in to do his responsibilities, and whoa, there's the boss's wife, who tries her very best to entice him. The Bible says, man, he just got out of the house so fast that she grabbed a piece of his clothing and it ripped his clothes as he was running out the door. Now here's a young man named Joseph who could have got, he really could have got away, probably, with this little fling. No big deal. Who's ever going to know? Everybody's doing it. And besides, Joseph could have said we're two consenting adults. Well, in this story, it's a young man and a married woman. The difference is Joseph didn't go looking for trouble. This young man was heading towards trouble, towards a temptation. Evening was fast approaching, and he's headed towards what seems to be very enticing. And when you get too close to the fire, you get burned. And when you get burned badly, lots of times it will leave some scars in our lives. And the thing is, when it comes to uh, sexual immorality or sexual purity, you know where it begins? It begins in the mind, not the body. This is where it starts. Long before there's any act, it begins in the mind. In fact, Solomon again says in 23, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. 
And then Jesus actually picks up on the very same thing. In Matthew, Jesus says, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. That's where it comes from. That's where it all starts. In fact, Jesus made another comment about it. He says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his, in his, her, his heart. Just a reminder, this is where it starts. And I think God has, obviously his scriptures has designed um, sex to exist within certain boundaries. But when it's out of control, it gets ugly. And, and one of the things where I discover, the problem isn't sex. The problem is, is us because we're sinners. And the world has taught us really well how to pervert and abuse and rip away the good things that God has created. And may I just remind you, sexual purity is not an option for the obedient Christian. It's not like, hmm, it's a requirement. And if you want to know, I hear people say, I want to know God's will for my life. Well, if you want to know God's will for your life when it comes in this area, you don't have to wander around wondering because it's here recorded for us. And, and sexual purity is not just abstaining from the act of it. It's so much bigger than that. Like the area of pornography. Right? Oh, I haven't crossed over, but so that is okay. No, 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 that would, that's wrong. Because we know what it does to our minds. It's, if I could tell you the stories, which I never will, but 30 years of pastoring, I want to tell you, there has been a lot of tears shed in my office. Marriages that have broken up. Families that have blown up. And relationships that have been destroyed because of it. Now I know, we read the Bible and we'll say, well, sex before marriage, you know, that's, the Bible says that you shouldn't do that. But I want to tell you, sex after marriage, you shouldn't do either if it's with someone else that you're not married to. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. So there's nothing new out there. It's not like, oh, this is so different, and, and no one's had to face what I've had to face. No, no, no. There's nothing new. No, no temptation that's new out there. It says, And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So when temptation walks into your house, standing right next to you is a way to get out. We have an enemy who has a hit list. And since we're God's children, we're the closest thing to God's heart, guarantee you're on the top of the list. And the more involved you are in serving God, well, the greater interest Satan has to destroy us. That's the truth. And the evil one would love to take us down by a few compromises. Here's the reality. The forces of evil have taken out a contract on you. There's a bounty on you. There's a price on your head. And Satan has declared war on us. 
In Ephesians, it says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, the powers of darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the invisible realm. It would be so much easier if it was flesh and blood because you'd prepare yourself. You know exactly where you're going to be hitting and striking, but that's not, that's not the war that we're fighting. And our enemy has a vested interest in our moral collapse. And he'll do anything and everything in his power to strike out at what's so valuable to Christ. The truth is the devil wants to derail us. He wants to imprison us to sin and yet God wants to set us free. And part of that is exercising some self-control along the way and to resist the enemy. So I'd love to be able to say, especially to our, our younger generation, just don't do it. Just don't do it. I know it's gonna be hard at times, but I'm just saying just don't do it. I know the temptations will be so enticing. I'm just saying don't do it. And I know the devil will try to convince you it's okay, compromise a little bit. Just don't do it. Because sexual immorality is a highway to the grave. And this is from a book of wisdom. This is not information so we can store up some knowledge in our head. This is so we can live a life actually that is full and abundant that God has designed for his family, his children his sons and his daughters. So can I encourage you? I challenge myself. Let's raise the bar as we follow Christ this week. Thanks for listening. And consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com.